Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. It's the man they call Dave with AJ Strange Brew. I thought we'd talk a little AEW revolution to start things off and maybe just a little AEW dynamite in general. I call it AEW revolution because we're all going to revolt at how horrible other than the main event it was. (laughs) <laughs> did you not like the texas death match i thought that one was pretty good it, it, it was okay i've not just gotten to a point where i just could not care less about the two people in it yeah uh, yeah there was a zero hour thing i don't know if you even caught that pre-show but uh mark briscoe was on there with the lucha bros they defeated the varsity athletes and uh davari i liked that briscoe's getting on AEW shows i hope we see more of him in their sexually like some kind of storyline or something we'll see sooner technically from what i understand the contract that he signed is actually with aew i think he's part of both brands because he still obviously has the ring of honor tag team championship and i know he's going to be part of the ring of honor pay-per-view but i think we will be seeing him more and more with aew as time goes on so we'll just do real quick so ricky starks beat jericho i actually picked ricky starks Uh, A lot of people thought, oh, no, Jericho's got to go over in this one. But I'm here to tell you, this guy knew who was going to win. Yes, Joe told me there was a couple ones you disagreed on. And I guess that was one of them right there. Yeah, I thought, well, I wasn't here, but I hate to say it now. But yeah, I thought Ricky would win too. Um, Yeah, I I had a feeling you would go for Ricky and actually would think that Ricky would go. Because, you know, we've known each other long enough where I have a pretty good feeling as to where you're going to go. Yeah, Um, I'll tell you right now. uh, In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I thought Jungle Boy would win over Christian. That one was there. I think we both would have agreed on that. And I don't know your predictions. Jericho, everyone we disagreed on, AJ got right. Well, there you go. This one, I was really up in the air about. I might have went with the Bucks and Omega because I thought they wouldn't pull the titles on them. But I'm glad they lost. House of Black, happy to see them get the win. Do you remember what you picked on that one? So I was wrong on that one. Yeah, I said I wanted the House of Black to win, but for some reason I did not think that the um they would actually put them both o- that they would put them over. We did both pick Jungle Boy. Since you weren't there, you actually picked Christian. Uh, oh, <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, let's circle back to that for a minute. The Jungle Boy Christian, because there's something there's to that. The way Christian lost, it looked like he was a legit barrier, like he was not coming back. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I would not be surprised to see that his contract has come up with AEW. Yeah. <laughs> he was not. That was not the way you normally like. It wasn't like he looked strong in defeat. Like, I mean, he had a good match, but it was also like, yeah, we buried the man, kissed him goodnight. Not only that, but they didn't have him on Dynamite at all either. So that's not a good sign for the future of Christian in AEW. All right, let's get back to this trios match for a minute because I, I wanna, I'm going to kind of mix Dynamite with this a little bit. You and me might be in the minority here. I know we agree on this, though. We're not big six-man championship fans. Like, this doesn't necessarily do it. They're good matches. It's fine, but I'm not totally, like, invested in it yet. That being yeah, said, I, I don't, love the House of Black. Yeah, I'm not big in general on six-mans. To me, it's just basically like having faction versus faction. Right. But That's we grew the, up on when it started off like your six-man champs were Dusty and the Road Warriors. Yeah. And then later on, we remember like Junkyard Dog, Big Josh, and probably Terry Taylor or somebody holding these belts. Well, well, I got to tell you, the reason why I liked six-men as a child was because my first six-man tags that I remember were the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds. 
Yes. That's a totally different thing than what we're actually seeing now. Although House of Black with that team reminds me more of the Freebirds than other teams. I know that sounds weird, but Brody King reminds me a lot of Terry Gordy. You have the worker in freaking Buddy Roberts, who to me is what you're seeing with Buddy Murphy. Yeah, well, the hell they yeah. their buddies, yeah. and then you have the vocal, the voice of each one, Michael Hayes and Alistair Black. Yeah. So to me, it's a very similar recipe to the Freebirds. I agree. Okay, yeah. One more thing before we go to the women, the trios on Monday when Jericho and the uh, rest of the uh, JAS want to get involved in this, and then the elite come out. Don Callis kind of grabs the microphone and he says, "I'm going to speak for you. I got this, guys." And just the way he did it and the way when the match ended, his headsets came off. I have this feeling Don might be possibly leaving the elite or leaving that maybe a heel turn or something here. I see him. And there was actually something else that reminded me of this. I could see him going with the JAS, but I could also, if you remember, he came out and gave his business card to Tanahashi or not yes. Tanahashi. How do you say his name? Uh, Kineske to test. To test uh, Joe's going to butcher me for that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just, he, he certainly didn't give it to Tanahashi, but when he the gave kid. it out to the other young kid from Japan, he yeah. was very heel in that also. So yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion he might be changing over and heading towards the JAS. Yes. Although he did claim that if he trained long enough, he could actually be the number two guy from Winnipeg. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that was a great line. <laughs> Kanosuke. Takesta, not take a shitter like uh, MJF. <laughs> what is that? But it, it was funny because JAS acted a little bit like baby faces. Yeah. You had the Bucks who acted like baby faces. They're going to go to Canada next week, too. So, And then you have House of Black that was getting cheered. Right. So all three of them were actually more towards the baby face. So let's go to the women here real quick. Jamie Hayter wins. I'm happy with that. She he, yeah. she beats Soraya and Ruby Soho. I have not, neither one of us have really enjoyed this storyline with Soraya and Tony being the outsiders. But I will say this, Ruby's interview the, yeah. at, at Dynamite, right, kind of brought it together, and it's the most interesting I've been. And by the way, not a knock on Ruby. We both like Ruby. Ruby was coming over here. And she did fine, but was really kind of just floundering. She didn't get a key win. This promo was the most interesting thing I've seen Ruby do. And it's the most interesting thing this group has now done, I think. Oh, by far at all. And Ruby did a great job of tying everything in and actually making it make sense. That's uh, And yes, I did pick uh, Jamie Hayter. That's a good call there, Producer Jeff. But in fairness, I think Jamie Hayter, if she's done correctly could actually be your Stan Hansen or your that style of wrestler in the women's division. So I get nervous when she wrestles Soraya because I'm afraid that one of her clotheslines will actually send Soraya back into retirement. <laughs> yes. I would have picked Jamie Hayter too. I have a feeling we were going to agree and disagree on the same things here. I would have picked in the next match Hangman over Mox. I think. Did you do yeah, that too? I yeah. did. Yeah. But I could not actually stand that match. And it's not because the match was bad. And I know a lot of people are giving it grief because of the blading, because of the blood, because yeah. I don't give a shit about that. You want to bleed? Go out there and bleed. However, I'm so tired of these two. 
Yeah. And thank God on Dynamite, they're keeping all of that going. <laughs> the happiest yeah. I was on Dynamite was when John, when um, freaking Hangman said to John's wife there, hey, thank God it's over. And I was yeah. like, oh, yes, it's over. And then, no, God forbid. We'll talk more about Brian Danielson and MJF at the end of this, but I thought it was very interesting. The Bull, uh, Bullet Club, the Blackpool Combat Club now acting more heelish, though, continued to beat up, which we've already kind of seen with uh claudio and yuda but now mox too but brian danielson has took some time off which is very interesting yeah he's been nowhere to be seen with the actual blackpool combat club and they're moxley oh we did pick moxley i'm sorry joe that would have been but in fairness that's also the match i cared the least about right (laughs) so remembering who i picked for that one can be difficult i would have picked samoa joe over wardlow because I would have thought Hobbs was going to do the babyface thing in front of his hometown and beat Joe. I don't know who I picked in that one, to be honest with you. I think I might have picked Wardlow. Yeah. So That's the only because it made sense to me that Joe's going to be focusing more on Ring of Honor. Right. Yeah, so logically looking back at it, I think I picked Wardlow. Yeah. But I would not have picked Wardlow to lose the belt the next night. Joe says you guys were not super pumped going into the show. And I think that was a lot around. It just wasn't the greatest build. Although we did. And Joe says you also both big did pick Wardlow. I will say this. Me and you talked like we thought afterwards did. Their live rampage, which I think only like 300 something thousand people watched. But we actually thought they did a good job on that show and build it. It was like, but nobody watched that show. And it was a very I, last minute. I wish that I had seen the rampage before we recorded our show. Now, before we get to the next match, go into Dynamite a little bit. Hobbs, quick loss for Wardlow. He loses the title after winning it. Quick loss to Hobbs. And I'm we, just glad we finally found something for QT Marshall to do. Hold on a second. We got Joe here in the comments again. I want to correct what I said about Ring of Honor. Even though the episodes are longer, the show was great overall. Okay, so comment about last uh, i'm actually willing to eat a little crow on that too because i also went back and watched it and i thought it was better than i thought it was the first time too i think i might have yeah. been tired when i was skimming through it the first time now getting back to hobbs he gets to win with the help of qt marshall or qtv apparently this is something they've been doing on dark i had no idea qtv maybe a playoff of g gtv or whatever that was for gold dust back and they was going to be the guy and he uh he helps hobbs and he said i told you i have your back which is a Thing they had done with Ricky Starks way back when, which yeah, I'm sure there's three people out there that remembered that. Yeah, I remembered, but I was like, no one else is gonna remember this shit. <laughs> so maybe they'll pay that off and they'll show a video or something or talk about it, you know, this coming week. But Hobbs gets to win. I'm happy for Hobbs because I'm glad I'm happy for QT Marshall. I mean, yeah. we've met QT Marshall and he Where's was that? nice as can be to the Working Fans yeah. podcast. I, I, I wish him all the best. This is what I thought of how nice he was to do that uh, audio drop for us there. Um, exactly. Any any anything we can do to help him out, God bless QT Marshall. I don't know what we can do, but <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll right. get in, we're, we're going to get into it in a little bit what we can do for people's careers because I got something I'm going to mention. And then moving on uh, back to the pay-per-view, the guns get the win over Caster Bowens, Lethal Jarrett, Cassidy, and Danhausen. I'm going to assume you both picked it. I would have went with the guns on that. I don't see them taking the belts off them at their heels. Now, FTR shows up at the end of this match. FTR cuts a promo on Dynamite. Do we think they're back? Dax says they got to April. I have a feeling Dax is not lying. And this, whether they sign or not will be how the rest of this is booked. I think they're coming back right now to see how it's going to play out for them until yeah. April to see if they should resign. 
Right. And then I think what's going to happen is if they don't resign, we'll see them lose. Maybe a lose at least town gets beaten. Or if they're staying, they're probably going to put the belts on them. Either way, the gun club gets a hell of a rub working with FTR. And uh, Okay, so Joe had picked the acclaimed. You picked the guns. I don't think the acclaimed needs the titles, right? No, I don't think they do either. I think they're big uh-huh. enough now and they're doing well enough now that they don't really need them. They also don't really need the rub from FTR right now. Whereas I think the gun club still needs the rub. And before we get to our main event, and then we'll take a quick pause and we'll get to 1989. One more thing. The next night on Dynamite, because uh, Jared was involved in this too, and Sande Dutt. Sande Dutt takes on Orange Cassidy for the uh, All-Atlantic Championship. Cassidy gets to win. Great match. These two kill it. They actually have great chemistry together. Lethal and... Uh, oh, yeah, Cassidy. Lethal. I thought you said Sanjay Dutt for some reason. I might I have. Like, I might have, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember that match. Sanjay <laughs> Dutt's great. But Jared, at the end of the match, he lays out Cassidy. But later on, we get an announcement by Tony Khan backstage that now it's going to be, I think this is the final All-Atlantic or already, but it's going to be the international championship. Somehow, I don't know how this really plays in Sazam, Fury of the Gods, but somehow I get that they're trying to cross-promote, but I'm not sure what this had to do with anything. At the end of the day, I think it's they wanted to change the title to the international title because more people like in Japan and other places that aren't in the Atlantic are competing for it, so it makes more sense to call it the international no, title. No, I, I think it's great that we would really focus on a couple islands like England and Ireland and fucking... Because people give a shit about those, um, you know, what's going on in France. And God forbid we call it the international championship when we got millions of people watching in freaking India, Japan. And the only let's, thing I will say is I was really glad Tony was smart enough to make this announcement in the backstage area. And not go in front of a live crowd talking about Shazam and whatnot. Because this was not going to be the Every time Tony Khan makes an announcement now, we all cringe. I want to be clear about something. We were all supporters of AEW. We want AEW to do well. When AEW came out, they were red hot. We're right behind you. We're supportive the whole way. Tony Khan has dropped the ball worse than my St. Louis Battle Hawks did this week against the Washington team in the XFL. That's how bad he dropped the ball. And if you're not watching the XFL, watch some football, you fucking puss. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Main event of the pay-per-view. MJF, Brian Danielson, Iron Man match. Great match. I'm assuming everybody picked MJF probably because, I mean, we talked about this off air. We just didn't feel like Danielson. It's it's getting to the point where Danielson just puts too many people over. Like, it's almost like, I want to know if this guy's going to win the big one. I just don't think the kid's ready yet. I don't think that, Brian, uh, you know, maybe next time. They had a hell of a match. I love that they did the uh, 60-minute draw at first, and then the crowd's chanting bullshit. I would have actually, in the minority, I guess, would have actually liked if they kept it a draw. Because it's like people don't have enough draws once in a while. To go off on a major pay-per-view with a draw, like, ah! It can happen. It's a 60-minute Iron Man. It's not a 61-minute. Right. It's not Gorilla Monsoon coming out and changing the freaking rules at the end. (laughs) It's a 60-minute Iron Man. If it's a draw, it's a draw. Play by the rules. MJF still walks out with the freaking belt. You didn't have to do this. No, you did it. Now, MJF cheats, knocks Danielson with the um, fire extinguisher, puts him in the uh, LaBelle lock, and Danielson, instead of passing out, Ends up tapping out. I didn't like it at first. I liked the match, but I was like, ah, I was like, I just felt like we made Danielson look a little like you know he shouldn't tap out. But the explanation the next night uh, or next my uh, next Wednesday on Dynamite made this for me. when Danielson's talking about how selfish he felt and how MJ was right, MJF was right. 
when he wasn't gonna be able to play with his kids and he started to lose feeling in his shoulder and he realized what have I been doing? I've been trying to convince myself I'm doing this for the kids and I'm not. And he decides, I said, I was going to tap out and I was ashamed of myself. And I think it's time I take time off. I thought that is an excellent story. It makes me want to see this guy come back at some point and win the championship. And I thought they did a great job with explaining this on Wednesday. No, they did a great job with it. If you're going to do the extra time and you're going to do that storyline, they did the right thing with it. Brian Danielson, as always, did a great job with it. MJF, as always, is a tremendous heel. Everything about that main event had a main event feel to it. I'm sorry that the rest of the card didn't do anything for me because I really wanted it to. And if we hadn't seen as much of Moxley and Cowboy as we have, that match would have done something for me also. I just... Overall, I have to give the card a freaking C, even though the main event was an A+. We're going to talk a little 1989. February 3rd, 1989, the tipping point of a slowly building storyline between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage comes on a live broadcast of the main event when Savage walks out on Hogan during the tag match against the Twin Towers. During the match, Miss Elizabeth had been knocked unconscious and Hogan took her backstage for medical attention. AJ, how do you remember this? Well, you know, it it was a big event because Savage, obviously, you know, he's going to end up turning heel off of it. But when you look back at it and you look through you know the perspective we have now i think it's clear to see hogan was the bad guy (laughs) why would you not let the husband carry his wife back why would you as the tag team partner do it and he seemed a little handsy if you will and now we also know the history he has of doing things with other people's wives so (laughs) it's really really bad well I have to say, as a kid, I remember Randy Savage, I believe, was getting beat down by the Twin Towers. Yeah. And that's when Hogan was giving him the, I'll be back, brother. I'm going to take Miss Elizabeth here, you know, and check on Like you would want. Yeah, 220-pound two, man getting beat up by um, six, set, what, 800 pounds of wrestlers in the ring? And I remember it again. Just, yeah, just like when he wouldn't take Orndorff's phone call. But here's the thing. So as a kid, I remember like thinking, oh, man, they're going to turn on Hogan. But I remember kind of thinking, that I didn't want to really acknowledge it as a kid, like, why is isn't he taking Horndorf's call? Why is he like, why, why does he stay with his partner? Like they have these medical people over here helping her. He doesn't all, need to do this. All little insights into what would become Hollywood Hogan. It was really well done in the sense that in any great bad guy, you want him to have a little bit of motivation and that you can kind of resonate with and understand. And I thought they did a good job of like, they made Savage the bad guy, but you could almost understand why he ended up like no, 100%. I, uh, how do you blame Savage for being upset for this? All right. uh, so I know as kids, we blamed him because we could you go for Hogan. But how is Savage possibly the bad guy here? 1989 was a great year for births because on March 21st, Dave's favorite wrestler, Rina Yamashita, was actually born. Oh. Oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We follow it up April 6th with Mia, Ki- Mia Yim. Uh-huh, Mia. Mia. We have Billy Kay, born June 23rd. Sue Young, actually born June 30th. One day before the 4th of July, Joey Bad Boy Janella. Oh. July 5th, Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> We've got Terry Gordy's daughter, Miranda Gordy, was born August 28th. Ethan Page was born September 20th. Madcap Moss was born October 10th, and somewhere in 1989, Chase Owens was born. Well, I want to get to this next one here. May 7th, after defeating Ricky Steamboat at the Wrestle War pay-per-view, Ric Flair attacked by Terry... 
was attacked by Terry Funk, and Flair turns down as Flair had turned down Funk's request for a title shot. I remember this very well as a kid. This is another one where I remember watching this and Terry Funk, first off, scary. This is like, I don't remember a lot of pile drivers on a table back then. And I just remember Terry challenging for the belt. And I remember Flair saying, we got a top 10 here, brother. You've been out in Hollywood. And then Terry goes, oh, I was just kidding with you, champ. I was just kidding with you. And then Flair went on. Like, one of the few mistakes Flair would make. Ah, okay, cool. And I'm just going to start talking. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> like, as like a 12-year-old boy, I knew. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, you should have turned your back on that man. Well, also, our most recent memories before that were of Terry Funk going absolutely crazy yeah. in the WWF and attacking everyone and anyone who would walk. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe, oh, Terry's okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Why would he be insulted by that? Yeah. It, was, it ended up being one of the best feuds of my childhood. Flair Funk absolutely had great chemistry. It was a scary insight. I still remember when Funk would later go on to put a plastic bag over Flair's head. But Funk, absolutely. It was at this point, I would say, I started to realize that as good as Funk was, in WWF, I had no idea how good he truly was, and this really brought it out. Yeah, that's the, in fairness, though, he didn't really get to work with a lot of top talent in the WWF. He, he, he worked with the Junkyard Dog, right. and he did work a small program with Hogan at one point. But this really brought out what he could do, and it was one of the scariest moments. I mean, the yeah. way they built up the whole storyline, doing the interviews about Ric Flair with his neck, keeping him out of action, making it so that we were legitimately nervous for him. It, it was really well done. One of your favorite movies came out in June 2nd. No holes barred. Hulk Hogan becomes officially a movie star. Well, actually, he had already been in Rocky Three, but this was his first starring role brother what can we say about no holds barred i mean you talk about great acting <laughs> uh, tiny lister hulk hogan i mean where could this really go wrong <laughs> oh. one of my um favorite actors actually believe it or not is actually in here the promoter the bad guy who yeah. gets tiny lister ends up being woody on psych ends up being the coroner and is one of the great characters on psych so oh. if you're out there hashtag psych movie four let's keep the momentum going <laughs> two more here actually i didn't because i did not know this one november 28 tommy young suffers a career-ending back and neck injuries in Atlanta, while refereeing a match between Tommy Rich and Mike Rotunda. Yeah, contrary to popular belief, it had nothing to do with the Barbarian. It was just a simple layout in uh, the ring where the he took a bump. The bump went horribly wrong, and Tommy Young was never able to actually officiate the way that he could again. And at the end of the year in December, Continental Championship Wrestling shut down, as well as Stampede Wrestling. Both shut down that year. Continental Wrestling Association, which a lot of people might not be familiar with, up in this area was run by the Fultons, Ron, and his brother, Don. Was it Don? I can't remember now. But the Fulton brothers actually ran it, and then they also had Jimmy Golden, who was their cousin, who was a primary one in there. A lot of top stars started off in that area and came through that area. Adrian Street came through that area a lot. We saw Shawn Michaels wrestle as a young kid in that area. Fuller's not the Fulton, sorry. But it was a tremendous spot for people in the southern areas, especially throughout Alabama, throughout Mississippi to start. And then you had Stampede Wrestling, which is where the Hart family started off, and they were absolutely god-awful, so don't even check that out. Robert and Ron for... Yeah, and, close uh, enough. Yeah. 
Of course, we had Bret Hart. We had Jim D'Anville, Nine Hart. We had both Bulldogs, Davy Boy, and Dynamite. Owen bad news, Hart, bad news Ryan Allen. Bill, man, bad. There's so many great talents up in Stampede Wrestling. Yeah, no, Stampede was great. I joke around about it, but Stampede was another hot spot. And you had to be a serious wrestler to go through Stampede, to go through the Hart Dungeon, and then wrestle up in Calgary in that area where it's freaking cold as shit. And uh, the travel up there was god-awful also. They did. Or Dude, why why do I get the feeling that producer Joe is Googling this shit while he's... <laughs> His I, I, I did that off the top of my head. <laughs> His internet wasn't the greatest today, so he's able to help us out. Uh, there. Is there anything else you want to uh, contribute to 1989? Any deaths? Uh, 1989, absolutely, because we have some serious deaths that year, yeah. some sad deaths. Mildred Burke, who is one of the first women wrestlers to be a superstar and was actually responsible for the training of people all the way through decades and decades. She was the first person who actually gave a break to the magnificent frick is her name i'm going blank uh who is the lady who ended up enslaving allegedly all the female Rob wrestlers moolah the mag yeah. sorry she was the one who actually gave moolah her first break and actually helped her get to I'm where she needed to get to because i got distracted i had a text with her i looked over and all i heard you say was enslave and i immediately knew it was moolah i'm like That's oh yeah moolah <laughs> another person who passed away that year was one of the most famous giants early on in wrestling haystacks calhoun passed away that year and one more sad death that year and last week we talked about i know dave wasn't there but last week we talked about how leo mcgurk passed away in 1988 and how he was big on jr and a huge influence on jr's career paul bosch uh bausch actually passed away in 1989 and of course he was responsible for giving the first break to a brother love bruce pritchard and really helped him out with his early on career in the houston area He's and was responsible for some of the best payouts in wrestling to be honest with you that was one of those areas wrestlers wanted to work because they were going to get legitimate chances yeah all was great Caracino Hernandez, Tony Blanchard, a lot of good people. I do have some debuts that year. We had a couple Hall of Famers and then one really tremendous superstar debut in 1989. We had Booker T debuted March 1st, I believe with the USWA. He would have been where he actually started off because they owned Texas Wrestling by that point. And he was wrestling out of Dallas for uh, Global, as I believe it was G.I. Bro was yeah. his first gimmick. Ray Mysterio Jr. would uh, was working his way through Mexico at that time period. In April 30th is when he debuted. He would have been working for AAA and then CMLL at that time period. 14 years old, I believe. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. And then the Japanese buzzsaw, September 19th, Tajiri actually got his start in wrestling. I have no idea which Japanese promotion he started in, and I'm not even going to attempt to guess. Nope. Tajiri, one of the greats from ECW, WWE. He teamed with William Regal a few times over there and had a great program. Um, I think the matches I really remember from ECW with Tajiri, to be honest with you, are against Super Crazy. I yeah. think him and Super Crazy had that great run of matches, which were absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's going to be I, it. I, I can remember Super Crazy, but I can't remember freaking Moolah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to be it this week, folks, for 1989. Actually, I don't know anything else you want to talk about. I think 1989 is just one of those years that you look back on and there's fondness to it. There's not a lot that really sticks out from the year, but because you had the Savage and Hogan turn, the breakdown of the Mega Powers, and because you had Terry Funk and the way he snapped on Ric Flair, it, it, it ended up being a fun year for those of us to end the 80s. 
I was just going to mention, is there anything else in uh, wrestling this week you want to talk about? Because I was thinking we should talk a little bit about some stuff that happened. Uh, one of them in particular, how John Cena, <laughs> who, by the way, I thought was great in a lot of ways. But I always thought the idea was when you wrestle someone that you try to build them up. So you beat somebody really good or you lose to somebody really good. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Fake crowd noise? <laughs> when When has this not been the John Cena MO, though, to actually come in and bury the other person? Here, here's the problem. You have Austin Theory, who's actually wrestling his ass off. He's got wins over the last year over everybody from Brock Lesnar to Bobby Lashley. He's your current U.S. champion. He's shining like crazy. He's got a great personality. He's got a physique that, quite frankly, at this point is better than John Cena's. And John Cena's burying him because he's in front of his hometown and he wants to make a name for himself. Hey, John, I got an idea. Here's what you do. Take your head, the big swollen-ass head that you have on your shoulders. Look at what you did with The Rock a few years ago when you were preaching to him about Hollywood and how it's you're there every day giving it everything you got. Guess what? Austin Theory's there every single freaking day giving it everything he's got. So take your Hollywood head, shove it up your ass, and head back to wherever the fuck you're filming. By the way, Peacemaker's a great show. Check it out on HBO Max. <laughs> Logan Paul, Seth Rollins. We started to build up for that. Well, I can't talk about people that actually love what they do. I believe Logan Paul actually loves being yeah. in the wrestling business. And he is letting the other people get over on him. With the stuff that Seth Rollins is able to say, do, even though he ended it obviously with the right hand, yeah. the way they set it up was fantastic. That's the And I'm looking forward to the match. Yeah. And then I guess in closing, Jay Uso finally turns on Sami Zayn. I think Thank God. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I yeah get, it, say, get it done with. I think... Night one, WrestleMania, you can headline with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus Jimmy and Jey Uso. Oh, you absolutely could. That's yeah. the, you You definitely could. That's yeah. the, And people people would be off their freaking rockers for it. First of all, people are actually like Jey Uso. People want to cheer for Jey Uso. Right. And now people are going to want to boo Jey Uso because of how much they like Jey Uso. That's a, so that match could go big. I, I have to say post-wrestling brought this to my attention too. There was a backstage segment at one point that was going on. In the back, you could see Cody Rhodes talking to Kevin Owens. I had missed this. And Cody would come out to make the save on Sammy. And they were saying maybe Cody's going to be the one who gets Kevin and Sammy together. And you have the Dusty connection because Dusty worked with Kevin and Sammy both in NXT. Yeah, you definitely could. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I, I, I like that whole angle. I, I'm a fan of what they're doing so far. And I like the fact that they've kept Kevin, quite frankly, away from Sammy. Because why Why every time something either goes wrong or something happens, does everybody make up like nothing's ever happened before? I did a short video on this uh, recently. And I was saying this is one of the most excited I've been for a WrestleMania in a long time. I just think that... You look at the last couple main events, I felt like we knew Roman was going to beat Brock. We knew Roman wasn't going to lose to Danielson and Edge at the time. We don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know. I feel like they got to put it on Cody, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Roman keep winning. because But but this is the second event in a row that they're actually managing to do this because we didn't know at Royal Rumble. They got us to a point where we're sitting there going, oh, my God, is it possible? Is Sammy going to go over? Right, right, yeah. 
So, so they actually have done a great job with this, and kudos to the WWE. We're not haters like the people that sit out there and go, the WWE can't do anything right. No, that, no, no. So this is what we've wanted for years, is for the WWE to yeah. actually take the time to develop their storylines and to build things correctly. Yeah. And they're doing it now, and we've got to tip our hats to them and say, hey, great job. Yeah, On the other perfect. hand, you've got AEW yeah. who's doing shit that doesn't make any sense. Right. So uh, you've got the... Uh, we'll go back to the combat club real quick here and I, and I'm only going to go off for a moment here. You've got the combat club and yeah, they're turning heel, but they're turning heel on a group that's barely even together anymore, the Dark Order. The only members who people actually gave a shit in the Dark Order are ones that either weren't in it, Cowboy, or the people that have left like Anna J. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's the, the last time John Silver was relevant was when he was on the Working Fans podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you could cherry pick uh, either show. I think you're going to find some good and bad stuff right now. But for the people that just hate, yeah, WWE is doing some good stuff. I would say is the hotter show right now yeah. when you're looking at especially in terms of story and the main event picture as it relates to story. At at some point, and I'm going to ask you a question here, and this is something that you might not have even thought about yet. At some point when these women in the women's division – keep talking about homegrown talent and talking about how dominant they are. How long can they do this before Jade Cargill comes out and kicks somebody's ass? Yeah, that's going to be interesting, right? Because and they've kept Jade Cargill kind of away from a lot of people. Yeah, they've kept her away. They still have her doing heel stuff on the side, doing this, doing that. But if you talk about homegrown talent, yeah, who literally started in AEW is undefeated in AEW. There's one person. I mean, don't get me wrong. They've built up Jamie Hayter. She's homegrown. Right. But Jade Cargill at some point has to be your Goldberg and has to come out there and kick someone's ass. And you talk about a face turn. People have wanted to cheer for Jade Cargill because of her attitude and because of her athleticism. I agree. I think it's time we get out of here. Look forward to seeing SmackDown tonight, and we'll be back here next week talking about 1990, I imagine. Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, The The Pro Pro Wrestling Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Carrie Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville, it's where wrestling lives.